Good morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. My name is Gordon Ritchie. Lynn Turvey and I will be your service leaders this morning. It is wonderful to have you with us here in the sanctuary and online. Our theme for the month of February is widening the circle. This morning, we are indeed widening our circle by exploring the Muslim faith through the eyes of our guest speaker, Nadia Miller-Goymer. I have the great pleasure of working with Nadia, and it's a real treat to have her with us this morning. Before we begin our service, I'd like to take a moment for a few announcements. Uh, next Sunday, our choir, Coriolis, will be singing. Uh, we will be joined by our minister, Reverend Rosemary Morrison. This is our annual Teze service. Uh, I would like to make sure that everyone's reading their newsletter, especially this one that came out this past Friday. Uh, we have the Startup Workshop happening, a very important workshop for our church. That'll be happening on February 12th and 19th uh, from 1 to 4. Both days, you can attend one of the sessions or you can uh, attend both. You can attend in person or online, so do check that out. Now, for those in the sanctuary, I would ask that you look up you will notice a new device hanging in our sanctuary. This is our brand new projector, which is so exciting. This is a red letter day for the sanctuary, yes. This actually means that all you lovely folks online, the images that you see, we are gonna be seeing on, this, on the, um, the back wall. So right behind me. So another way for us to make sure that we're connecting and seeing the same things together. So for us here in the sanctuary, our text will be coming up. The text for your hymns, for the readings are coming up on the back wall. Andrew Mills has put in so much time, a ridiculous amount of time. So for all of you here in the sanctuary, do make sure that you give, show your appreciation to Andrew. For those online, please start typing in a little thank you for Andrew. Um, this is very exciting. So this is taking us into a whole new realm. It takes a lot of people to run these services, to make them work. Um, our greeter this morning here at church was Rosemary. On Karen, we have uh, Karen on piano. Uh, yeah, I know I'm just so excited. I'm just beside myself today. Uh, up in the sound booth, we have John and Declan and Andrew. Susan prepared our slides today. And on Zoom support, we have Karen Belita and Gloria. Thank you for all. And please consider volunteering to help with these Sunday morning services. As Nadia and I were talking about this service, she sent me a link to an absolutely beautiful recording that we will use as our prelude this morning. It is the traditional Islamic call to prayer. In Islamic countries, it is played on speakers on the outside of mosques for all to hear. In secular countries, it is normally recited by someone inside the mosque. I'm so pleased to have you all with us this morning that we get to hear this. Out of respect, we will be muting uh, this recording once uh, the service is posted online. I would ask that we settle in and listen to this beautiful Islamic call to prayer. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. <laughs> 
from the University of Alberta website, and I would like to share it with you now. To acknowledge the traditional territory is to recognize its longer history, reaching beyond colonization and the establishment of European colonies, as well as its significance in the indigenous people who lived and continue to live upon this territory, and whose practices and spiritualities were tied to the land and continue to develop in relationship to the land and its other inhabitants today. And so we acknowledge that we are located on Treaty 6 territory and respect the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and all First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. Good morning, and I want to welcome you all here as well. And so, as Melanie Morell Ensminger would say, come, come, whoever you are, you are welcome here. No matter your age, your size, the color of your eyes, your hair, your skin, you are welcome here. No matter how you came here, if you came alone or with others, you are welcome here. No matter whom you love or how you speak or whatever your abilities, you are welcome here. Whether you come with laughter in your heart or tears in your eyes, you are welcome here. If you come here with an open mind, a loving heart, and willing hands, then you are indeed welcome here. Now, most appropriately, let us join in singing hymn number 188, Come, Come, Whoever You Are. Uh, and in a world premiere, and for your viewing pleasure, <laughs> the words will appear on the back wall. And I think Karen is going to play that twice, because it's quite short. Yeah. So <laughs> please stand as you are willing and able. And of course, you may use your hymn books if you prefer. Our chalice lighting this morning is a Muslim prayer for peace, and I'd like to invite John to come forward to light the chalice. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, praise be to the Lord of the universe who has created us and made us into tribes and nations that we may know each other, not that we may despise each other. If the enemy incline towards peace, do thou also incline towards peace, and trust in God, for the Lord is the one that heareth and knoweth all things. And the servants of God, most, most gracious, are those who walk on the earth in humility, and when we address them, we say, Peace.
Our first reading is entitled, It's Not What You Believe, But How, and it's written by Gary Kowalski. And I'd like to invite my lovely assistant forward to help me with this reading. Babies don't believe anything. Babies aren't born Buddhist or Baptist or believers of any sort. But soon after we arrive in the world, we start gathering ideas. We pick up beliefs and ideas about people and animals and families. We collect ideas about stars and comets and how it all got started. We accumulate beliefs about good and bad, right and wrong, what's healthy and unhealthy, and what is important in our life. All these beliefs, which we get from our parents and playmates and from TV and from Sunday school, go into our belief bag. Now, most religions define themselves by what they believe or by what's inside the bag. Christians, for instance, believe in Jesus. Muslims believe in Allah and in the Prophet Muhammad. Buddhists believe in the Four Noble Truths. But Unitarian Universalists don't just have one set of beliefs. What makes us different is the way that we Unitarians carry our beliefs because there are different ways of holding your belief bag. For example, some people hold their bag like this. They clutch it close and make sure that the top is tightly sealed because they don't want their beliefs exposed to any new ideas that could threaten what's inside. They've got their world wrapped up in a nice, tidy package. On the other hand, some people are just the opposite. They don't pay much attention at all to what goes inside their bag. One idea is as good as the other, and if other folks believe it, or if they read it on the internet, or hear it on talk radio, then it must be true. And then there are people who carry their bag like a club they use to hit other people. What's inside their bag may sound very sweet and nice, for instance, I believe in peace and kindness and the golden rule. But they use their bag like a weapon. You don't believe in peace? Why, you nasty person? Shame on you. Okay, settle down. <laughs> but none of those is the Unitarian Universalist way. Instead, we carry our bags with the top open so that new ideas and experiences can get inside and old beliefs can be tossed aside if needed. We carry our bags in front of us so that we can see and examine what goes in to make sure it makes sense and fits with other things we know. And also so that we can see what our neighbors think and share our thoughts with others. Above all, we never use our beliefs to beat up or bully anyone. That's what it means to be a Unitarian Universalist. So the next time someone asks you, what do the people in your church believe? You can tell them, for Unitarian Universalists, it's less important what you believe than how you hold your beliefs. It's how you acquire them. It's how you share them. And above all, it's what you do with them that counts. Aww. Thank you.
Last August, I noticed a new name on my store's work schedule. Being the inquisitive kind of guy that I am, I called up the general manager of the company and asked about the new staff member. I was given a brief description about her credentials, and I was told that I will like her. Well, that indeed was the case and remains to be the case. In fact, a few days after agreeing to come and speak with us, Nadia arrived at work and presented me with one of her personal copies of the Quran. This began, or this actually became, my bus reading over the next few weeks. How Unitarian. Nadia has two presentations for us this morning. Uh, the first one is called A Personal Journey. Now, one of many things that I've already learned from Nadia is that there is a very specific way that you can greet someone of the Islamic faith. So if you would, you here in the sanctuary and you at home, if you would be so kind to repeat after me, Nadia, peace be unto you. Nadia, peace be unto you. If you would. Hello everyone, this is actually very fitting. I would also like to wish you peace and blessings. Thank you for having me here and allowing me to share my story. I started off atheist. <laughs> As a young girl, the way religion was introduced to me, combined with my young mind, I thought that I had to believe there was a man in the sky watching my every move. It didn't make sense, so I decided I couldn't believe in something like that. And I remember very vividly standing in church and being honestly jealous that these people had faith and I didn't. When I was an adult in university, I partied pretty hard and then my parents divorced, which sent me further into the whirlwind of filling the void. Just partying turned into drinking a lot and treating myself poorly. After a few years of this behavior and finishing my degree, I found yoga and this sent me down a path of healing and New Age spirituality with bits of Hinduism and Buddhism mixed in. Meditation became a large part of my practice, and I'm grateful that I had a mentor who was very spiritual and a big support to me during this time. I went on meditation retreats, I read spiritual books and scriptures of many faiths. In 2020, I finally decided to research Islam, read the Quran, and figure out why people were so negative about Muslims. Unfortunately, but very fortunately, the lockdowns happened and I had four months to research Islam uninterrupted. Turned out, as I learned about Islam and as I continue to learn, I was dumbfounded to find my most deep beliefs written in the pages. The beliefs that I had acquired about God and spirituality in almost the decade I had spent searching, and that most of my preconceived notions about Islam were heavily influenced by Islamophobic propaganda we see every day in our news and TV. As I speak with you today, instead of listing the things that resonated with me, because there are so many, um, I will highlight just a few Islamic concepts throughout my talk and explain them. One of the things that is very important to me is science. I have a psychology and biology background, and now I have a degree in Ayurveda, which is the traditional holistic healing science from India. As I read about Islam and considered converting, I had to figure out how Muslims view science. 
It turns out, science is considered an act of worship in Islam. One of my favorite ex Islamic scholars once beautifully said, some Muslims feel that if you study evolution or the origins of life, that this will destroy your faith. Because do you believe in evolution or do you believe in Adam? So he said, let's read the Quran on this topic. And we turn to Surah Al-Ankabut, which states, didn't they travel around all over the earth and didn't they take a good look at how creation began? God is telling us in the Quran, I will not only tell you how creation began, but you must go in the earth and figure out how creation began. You will not learn how creation began in a book of religion. You have to go to the earth, you have to dig and excavate and explore, and then you will find out how creation began. Can you believe that's in the Quran? Go find out how creation began and study it. Muslims are not supposed to be afraid to explore the world. We are supposed to celebrate the exploration of the world, which is the creation of God. We don't see a contradiction between science and religion. We actually believe that the more you become a person of science, the more it increases you in your faith. And the more you increase in your faith, the more you study science." End quote. There are many scientific miracles mentioned in the Quran, which were revealed long before they were confirmed by modern science. My favorite example of such is that 1400 years ago, Muhammad, peace be upon him, recited Quran verses that spoke of the expansion of the universe, which was just recently confirmed by science in 1929. After reading the Quran and researching authentic knowledge on Islam, I took the Islamic Declaration of Faith called the Shahada on July 21st, 2020. The Shahada consists of the statements, I believe and testify that there is no God but Allah and that Muhammad is his messenger. In Arabic, it is Ashadu an la ilaha illallah Muhammadan Rasulullah. When you recite the Declaration of Faith and you honor Muhammad, peace be upon him, as God's messenger, you are also honoring all prophets that came before him. You honor the message that God is one, that our source is one, and that this is the message that all Abrahamic prophets came to share. You surrender peacefully, which is the definition of a Muslim, to God's will. Little did I know that taking the Shahada was the easy part. <laughs> Considering that most people have internalized Islamophobia due to the state of North American media, I have had to wade through many uncomfortable moments with family and friends. In Islam, women are highly revered and respected. Wearing a hijab is like wearing a crown. But to my Western family and friends, how can I do something so oppressive? What to me is an act of worship and a symbol of my love of God and my willingness to surrender to God, to them is a symbol of oppression. When I wear my hijab, I am always aware of God and I think of God all the time. My hijab reminds me to act in a way I can be proud of. It is a reminder of my values and my love of God. My hijab reminds me that my life is short and that every moment on this earth is not to be wasted. When I dress modestly, I'm putting a very important intention behind my clothing. Did you know that it's actually against the basic teachings of Islam to force people to wear hijab? Actually, forcing someone to do anything they don't want to do is against the teachings of Islam. I have been asked many times by family and friends, but what about places in the world that force women to wear hijab? What about countries in the world with a large Muslim population who suppress women's rights? The answer is clear. This is culture and misogyny that is confused with Islam. It is not Islam, and Islamic scholars agree with this. 
When you see people voiding others of their human rights, this is not Islam. When you see people being violent, this is not Islam. When these situations happen, these are people who are, practice, who are not practicing Islam as a whole, and they leave out important aspects like nonviolence and freedom of choice. Islam gave women the rights to inheritance and a bank account 1,400 years ago, whereas in Canada, women were only able to attain a bank account without their husband's signature in 1964. When I put the hijab on of my own accord, and I thank Allah for inspiring me, I told myself that I wouldn't wear it if I didn't want to. Little did I know it would become one of my most favorite things. I was listening to a podcast a while ago. It was um, made and produced by converts. Um, and she put the words perfectly to my thoughts. She said, the most oppressive thing about wearing hijab is having to convince people that I'm not oppressed. It's true. <laughs> A while ago, a seemingly innocent question was asked that actually has a very deep, dark history. They asked me, why do you have to dress that way? Why can't you be modern? What was assumed here was that a different way of being, different traditions, which are not Eurocentric, are somehow automatically not modern. What did settlers do when they came to this continent? They forced local indigenous people to change because they were perceived to be less modern. It is a very colonial mindset to believe that other cultures or religions are not relevant today and that your way is the best way. Now that I've been a convert for about a year and a half, it's much easier for me to articulate why Islam makes sense and why it's so important to me. God is not a man in the sky. God is beyond human comprehension and our one singular source. The word Allah means God in Arabic and is also used by Arabic Christians as well as other faiths, um, the word Allah does not belong to Islam. We are all praying to the same God. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nadia. Now, uh, if you please join in singing hymn number 90 from all the fret and fever of the day. And again, words will be on the back wall and rise if you are willing and able.
Our community is entirely self-governing and self-supporting. One of the privileges of our free church tradition is to provide all of the financial support for our many ministries from among ourselves. Generosity, therefore, is one of the spiritual values we recognize as central to our personal and institutional well-being. In addition to supporting this church community, we also make a monthly commitment beyond our walls. One half of the unidentified cash that is received is given to an outside organization. Some are local, some national, and some international. For the month of February, we are sharing our abundance with iHuman Youth Society. Since 1997, iHuman Youth Society has engaged Edmonton's marginalized youth to foster positive personal development, well-being, and social change. They support youth impacted by the negative outcomes associated with poverty, intergenerational trauma, addiction, mental health, abuse, racism, discrimination, and exploitation. Over 500 youth between 12 and 24 years of age access iHuman every year, 80% of whom self-identify as Indigenous. They take statements like youth-driven and youth-led to a new level. Their credibility to practice what they say enables them to authentically build trust with their demographic. Creative expression is embedded in all iHuman programming as a therapeutic medium to address trauma and well-being, foster connection to cultural identity, and create belonging and opportunities for skills development and therefore self-worth. Our offering plates are located at each of the exits. Those in the sanctuary may leave a donation at the end of the service. For those of you online, we encourage you to visit the iHuman website to make a donation. We thank you for your generosity and your support. With our time, our talents, and our money, we support the work of the community and this Unitarian Universalist tradition. Please join in singing from You I Receive. to welcome back Nadia for her second presentation. So the second part is called Finding Connection. Um, my goal here is not to perform an Islamic lecture and list off Islamic concepts because you probably wouldn't remember them. <laughs> Um, instead, I'm here to show you that we were all sitting on the same tree, just different branches. We really aren't that different, you and I, and yet, it, especially here in Edmonton, it's hard to speak about Islam without bringing up Islamophobia. Visibly Muslim women here, many of them black women, are attacked in our city. In Quebec five years ago, there was a mosque shooting while congregants prayed peacefully. 
And this past fall, a family in Ontario was killed while they took their evening stroll. I went to a mosque a few weeks ago with friends. The topic of the sermon once again was our safety because that past week, a woman and her family were attacked in Edmonton once again in front of their mosque that past week. I wondered to myself, how many faith communities in Canada spend their sermons talking about safety? about speaking up against the oppression they continually face, and about how if we don't speak up for our rights, no one will. How many faith communities in Canada regularly hold self-defense classes for their congregants in response to physical attacks on the street? In my 1.5 years of being a convert, my local mosque has hosted these classes quite a few times. I would like to share with you today that Muslims, Christians, and Jewish people are all brothers and sisters of the Abrahamic religions. And everyone here in this room are brothers and sisters of this world. So I ask you, when you see injustice, Islamophobia, or hatred of any kind, please stand up and speak for those who are in danger or marginalized. Because if you don't, then no one will. For this next section, I would like to introduce some Islamic traditions and concepts and explain them. Lack of education about Islam seems to pave the way for misunderstanding. In Islam, we say, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, translated to peace be upon him, whenever we speak about any of the prophets, peace be upon them. Muslims believe in all prophets, including Jesus, Muhammad, and Moses, peace be upon them whom are three of 124,000 prophets who are believed to have existed. Muslims believe that every era of humans has had a prophet who came to them with the same message. The word Islam means to surrender peacefully to the will of God who is one, and in the Islamic faith, this is the same message that all prophets, peace be upon them all, spent their lives spreading. Muslims do not believe that Jesus, peace be upon him, is the literal son of God, they believe that him and all prophets, peace be upon them, were humans who experienced divine revelation from God. Muslims do not pray directly to Jesus or Muhammad, peace be upon them. They don't pray to saints or anyone other than praying directly to God. Muslims believe in the Quran, the Bible, and the Torah. One of the central aspects of Islam is that because the Bible and the Torah have been edited so much, that the original message is either clouded or partially lost. How do you know what is the word of God and what is an edit? The Quran has been preserved in its original form in Arabic. It appeared as a linguistic miracle, and Arabic script had to be updated to accommodate the deep meanings and specific pronunciation of each syllable and word. English translations, or any translation for that matter, loses much of the nuance and meaning that makes the Arabic Quran so special. For the non-Arabic reader, it is paramount that you find a trusted translation that doesn't contain the opinion of the translator. If you are interested in finding a trusted copy of the Quran in English, please reach out to me after the service and I can point you in the right direction. It is an important Islamic tradition to actually memorize the Quran in Arabic so that it cannot be edited or changed. If you go to a mosque in anywhere in the world, Canada, Africa, Europe, Asia, or the Middle East, for example, the words spoken from the Quran will be exactly the same. And congregants whose native language vast, vastly differs from each other can recognize when they've made a mistake in their Arabic Quran recitation. 
Muslims around the world can communicate with each other due to their joint effort in learning Arabic for the purpose of understanding the Quran and preserving its original form. They emerge with the ability to converse with Muslim brothers and sisters from around the world. Islam and the Quran were revealed to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, over a period of 23 years, starting around age 40. The holy month of Ramadan, where Muslims fast from sunrise to sunset, is the month in which the Quran was first revealed. The Gregorian calendar dates of Ramadan shift every year because Muslims follow the moon calendar. The Quran contains explanations and instructions for the daily life of the believer. In the Quran 2.16, God says, And it may be that you dislike a thing which is good for you, and that you like a thing which is bad for you. God knows, but you do not know. The Muslim is taught how to live life and surrender to God in preparation for the next life. For example, it's an Islamic duty to give charity called zakat. This is not like the concept of tithing, but rather 2.5% of your wealth is given directly to the poor and not the church or mosque. Women's rights to inheritance, for example, their own money and safety are all there in the Quran, as well as many verses about daily life and daily life topics. The main message in the Quran is the oneness of God, though. Surah Al-Ikhlas, one of the shortest surahs, states, Say, O Prophet, He is Allah, one and, one and indivisible, Allah, the sustainer needed by all. He has never had offspring, nor was he born, and there is none comparable to him. It is worth noting that in Arabic, the word used for him when referring to God is not specifically a male or female designation, yet it includes both. This is one of the subtle nuances that is lost when translating the Quran to English, the fact that God is not specifically male or female. Muslims believe that this life is a temporary test and that we must overcome our human desires and listen to our soul. Our soul is the part of us that is close to God and our ego is the part of us that can bring us further away if we don't keep it in check. To live with humility, gratitude, and generosity towards others is a core Islamic value. We are to live the way Jesus and Muhammad, peace be upon them, did. To give with a warm hand, to fight for people who don't have a voice, and to love our fellow humans and this planet unconditionally. There is a story about the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, that I love. He would allow Christians to come and pray in the mosque if they didn't have a place to pray. One day there was a man, not sure of his faith, who was in the mosque and he peed in the corner. <laughs> Attendees of the mosque wanted the Prophet, peace be upon him, to intervene. Instead, he waited until the man was finished and spoke with him afterwards. He didn't want to embarrass the man. He always showed mercy and compassion to people no matter what situation they were in. Whether they were Christian brothers and sisters who needed a place to pray, or whether you're a random man peeing in the side of the mosque, he did not judge you for who you are, what you believed, or what you did. The Prophet, peace be upon him, knows that everything is between you and God and that there is no point in human judgment. He was known for his honesty, mercy, and compassion. Peace be upon him. When Muslims greet each other, uh, when coming and going, we say, Assalamu alaikum, which means peace be upon you. The other Muslim responds with, Walaikum assalam, which basically means, and peace be upon you too. You don't need to be Muslim to say this, and I can guarantee that it puts a smile on our faces when we are out in public and somebody surprises us with a salam. The greeting, Assalamu alaikum, truly embodies the heart of Islam a religion of peace and love where people surrender to God. 
Over the past year and a half, I have found so much peace in Islam through the mindset, teachings, and everyday activities. We pray five times a day in accordance with where the sun is in the sky, and I feel so connected to the cycles of nature. My connection to the divine is the opposite of my atheist self from back in the day, and I'm so grateful that Allah chose me to become Muslim. As the Prophet, peace be upon him, used to say in his prayers, O oh Allah, you are the turner of hearts. Please keep my heart turned steadfast towards your religion. Amin. I hope you leave here feeling a sense of connection with your fellow brothers and sisters of the Abrahamic religions. The Quran refers to all of us as people of the book, and I think that's so beautiful. Thank you. Peace be upon you all. Thank you, Nadia. We have a responsive reading. It's number 610 in the back of your hardcover hymn book, 610. Or if you like, the text will be appearing behind me. Miraculously. So I'll be starting off by reading the bold font, and Lynn will be leading you in reading the italicized text. Number 610, but I don't need to say that because it's behind me. <laughs> this is uh, The Journey of Love, written by Muhammad Iqbal. Where is our hearts in that burning of desire? It is true that we are made of dust, and the world is also made of dust, but the dust has motes rising. Whence comes that drive in us? We look to the starry sky and love storms in our hearts. Whence comes that storm? The journey of love is a very long journey. But sometimes with a sigh, you can, you can cross that vast desert. Search and search again without losing hope. You may find sometime a treasure on your way. My heart and my eyes are all devoted to the vision. Each Sunday, we take some time to acknowledge the joys, concerns, celebrations, sorrows that affect not only our personal lives, but the lives of our larger community. For those of you online, you're welcome to enter something into the chat, some thoughts that you would like to share. For those of you here in the sanctuary this morning, I'll ask that you line up in single file to the side and one at a time light a candle for whatever is on your heart, on your mind today. And there is a little glass of water I was asked that you use that to extinguish your chalice. For those of you who would like to light a candle I invite you to come forward now.
I would like to ask Lynn to light one more candle. This is a candle for all of you who are joining us online, for all your thoughts, for all of your concerns. Know that you are with us. These candles represent so many things, our prayers, our wishes, our desires, but most of all, they represent a community of love. May we always know that we are never alone. As we enter in a time of quiet reflection and meditation, I offer you a piece entitled Towers of Babel, written by George A. Tiger. I have purchased a set of Islamic prayer beads from one of our local shop owners. The set has 99 beads, one for each of the names of God in Islam. These are not literally God's names, but the attributes Muslims ascribe to the holy, including the merciful, the shaper, the sustainer, the loving one. In the biblical story of the Tower of Babel, the people hoped to reach God and make their names famous as if God were a thing to be used for their own vanity. As a result, the people of the world were scattered into diverse cultures and languages, presumably each with its own understanding of God. In part, this reflects the pre-scientific overview or worldview in which God exists somehow above us. The people thought they could stand face to face with God just by erecting a tall enough building. But the story is also about the human need to own and control things. When so much is out of our control, the lessons of Babel are important to us all. We can all build towers of Babel when we use God for our own purpose. We can use God to dismiss others, to assert our superiority, to divide people into those who belong and those who don't. If we think God is a thing in a place like the citizens of Babel did, we tend to decide that God is with us and not them. That is why I like the Islamic notion of 99 names of God. Each of those names is a reminder that God is a reality woven into the very fabric of being. God cannot be named or held or possessed, but must ultimately be experienced as love, justice, mercy, peace, compassion, creator, and more. What names might you find for God? To put it another way, where have you experienced the holy in your life, even here in this place? When does God feel far away? How does the divine feel close to you? These questions can tear down the Tower of Babel in our minds and bring us down to earth 
where God lives every day. Let us join together in a moment of silent reflection. The following reading is actually a responsive reading. It's called The Litany of Compassion. It's by Dennis McCarty. And there was a response that I would like you to repeat for those of you online and here in the sanctuary. The response is, may we reach out in honesty and love. Let's say that together. May we reach out in honesty and love. In the spirit of love, harmony and remembrance, we stand too often divided, too often set apart from one another in heedless ways. We seek to be compassionate, but our vision may be clouded or distracted. We too often go forward day by day and look without seeing. May we reach out in honesty and love. May we work to heal the divisions which separate Earth's children one from another. May we peer through the mists of deception which hide and deny violence, mists enclosing those who suffer. May we not allow the misuse of our fellow souls to hide in broad daylight. May we reach out in honesty and love. When we see the afflicted, however they may be afflicted, may we not shrink away. May we not blame suffering on the one who suffers. May we be courageous enough to perceive suffering and compassionate enough to attend to the voice of those who suffer. May we reach out in honesty and love. When we see prejudice, when we hear evil speaking, when we witness the rough hand or the scathing word laid upon the helpless or innocent, may we resolve to work toward unity and justice. May we reach out in honesty and love in all things. May those who suffer ever be able to approach us. Find a kindly ear, a supporting hand, May we witness the, for love and justice on every level of a relationship. May we nurture a keen eye and a strong and loving heart for any who fear a hurtful rod, a cutting voice, the uneven hand, the chain of oppression, great or small. May we reach out in honesty and love. Please join in singing hymn number 148, Let Freedom Span Both East and West. Mm -hmm. 
words will be appearing on, there they are. <laughs> to be present with all that is our life, both our deepest sorrows and our greatest joys, so that we can truly live engaging fully in our own life and in our community. Spirit of community, help us know how linked we are, how each one of our cares touches us all. Help us to ask for support when we are in need and offer our support to others when we are able so that we may rest in the solace of one another's love. Spirit of love, help us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves so that we might fully embody love and resist hatred. Spirit of resistance, help us to stick up for what is right even when we are tired or afraid. Help us to dream of the world as it should be and act to bring that world about. Help us to find hope each day. Spirit of hope, help us through this day and each day. Help us to be present for all that is our life. For all this we pray, amen and blessed be. I would like to ask John to come forward and extinguish our chalice. Thank you. Well done. <laughs> Our final blessing is entitled Muhammad's Prayer of Light. O oh God, give me light in my heart and light in my tongue and light in my hearing and light in my sight. 
Enlighten my feeling and light in all body. And light before me and light behind me. Give me, I pray thee, light on my right hand and light on my left hand and light above me and light beneath me. O Lord, increase light within me and give me light and illuminate me. May it be so, blessed be. This brings us to the close of our time together. Nadia, what a gift. What a blessing you have been for us this morning. Thank you. Uh, just a little reminder that our offering plates are by our exits. Um, we ask for your donations to iHuman. And so it is our tradition to rise as you are willing and able, a contact with your eyes only, as we join in singing our closing song, Carry the Flame of Peace and Love Until We Meet Again. <laughs>